Well, good morning. It's good to have everybody here today. And uh, we'll have some lights up here in just a minute. If you're in Kidmo, you can head on out uh, to Kidmo. Be sure, especially if you have a child in Kidmo, to say thank you to Kurt today. Uh, Kurt's pulling triple duty today. He is not only on stage leading worship, he's also leading Kidmo. And then he's going to jump back out here for the last song. And he's doing all that, keeping his kids while Kim is away with the, le- the other ladies on their weekend. So uh, just... Be sure, and you know, Kurt is a guy that, uh, well, he gets it, and um, well, he's just so capable. So, but we need to encourage those that are willing to sacrifice to serve the rest of us. So let's be sure and um, say thank you to him and for all of those that are serving today. Um, we're glad to have you. If you're a guest, we're really glad that you chose to be with us today. And we're going to continue in our series called Free. Now, this is an important series because much of the promises that are made to us in Scripture have to do with the fact that God has told us that what I am doing and the way I am working in this world for you is to make you free. And one of our core verses is Galatians 5.1. And Paul is saying here, Christ has set you free, but don't submit yourself back to the old way of life that keeps you in bondage, that keeps you enslaved. So far, we've looked at some of the ways we commonly enslave ourselves in life. Those Types of situations where you and I struggle and we are wondering, is the world supposed to be like this? Isn't life supposed to be better than this? I I just feel like I can't get ahead. I feel trapped. I feel like there's no hope. And the reality is that we do allow other things to enslave us when Christ's goal for us was to live a life of freedom. Financially, we submit ourselves to the need for more and that puts us in bondage. It either puts us in bondage to the fact that we can't truly appreciate what we have or puts us in bondage because we go buy more than we can afford and then we're in debt and then we're enslaved to our debtors. We've also looked at the reality that God didn't just create an opportunity for us to be free from sin. He gave us an opportunity to be free for things. Last week we talked about being free to love. You and I are free to love no matter who the person is. We're free to love Volunteers, when they beat Florida, we're free to love Florida. Okay, we are free to love Florida. I was waiting to see if anybody loved Florida. But we're free to love. In fact, Jesus goes so far to say that not only should we love the people that are close to us, but we should love our enemies. We should love those who persecute us. We should love everybody, and that is demonstrated to us by Christ's love for us. Today I want to talk to you about something that is uncomfortable, it's awkward, and but it's something that each of us deals with in different ways, and those who are most adamant they don't deal with this are people that do it the quietest. But they still struggle with the reality that there is a fear of failure. Now here's what I want to promote today. This is what I want to suggest to you, and we're going to be looking at one of the most notable apostles in his life today is that not only did Christ free us for certain things, he freed you for the ability to fail and fail well. When I look back at my, on my life, I, I wanted to come up here and give you a list of all my failures because I know that would make everybody feel better about their own lives. But as I look back over my life, the, the, the truth is, is I certainly do have failures within my life. One of 
uh, for professionally, one of the greatest failures I ever have for people that are in this room are when David and Stephanie got married. They came up and walked up, and Stephanie was all prepared. David was all prepared. Their family was all there. The church was full. And for the life of me, I could not remember Stephanie's name. Now, if you're our guest, David and Stephanie are our youth pastors here um, at Journey Today. They weren't then. That was a few years ago. But I remember thinking it was that feeling of fear that was overtaking me, and my mind was shrinking inside my skull at the moment that I realized, oh, no, this cannot be happening. I recovered. She told me what her name was there at the altar, which was enjoyable for everyone. That was what she hoped for for her special day. There have been other great failures in ministry for me. And I remember one time we went on a mission trip to Italy. And uh, we took a group during the Olympics when they were in Torino. And we went with the missions group that their goal is to evangelize while the Olympics are going on. While we all love the Olympics, what we may not be aware of are how many truly horrible things happen at Olympic venues. Truly horrible things happen to people that are there. And so we went to minister and to share, and we had some ladies with us that liked to sing, and so we were going to go and let them sing in and, and the courtyards and do different things. And we got there. We didn't have a big sound system, so we went all over Torino looking for this sound system so that, that we could project and they could sing. And it, we, we, we went all over the place, finally found the biggest thing we could find and afford, and and we plugged it in and we started singing and it was more akin to somebody on the side of the road with a tin cup and a little cardboard sign than it was this big evangelistic moment. I remember thinking this is a huge failure. And then it didn't help that just five minutes later, another church group from another place came out, put this massive stage up, this massive sound system, this massive lighting system. It was like, wow, here we are in our corner. Now, the reality was that wasn't an epic failure because we built some relationships that day. However, it felt at the moment like we failed. There are so many things when I look back over my life that I think things could have gone better. But the reality for me, and it may be for some of you, is that I don't have a ton of huge failures to share. Because not only does failure have the opportunity to point out when we screwed up, it sometimes keeps us from trying for things for the fear of failing. And so that's why if we ever have a dance floor at a wedding, you never see the pastor dance. It has nothing to do with the reality that I think dancing is wrong. I think it's awesome. I don't do it because it's an epic fail for me. Not for anybody else. It's huge fun for everybody else. But for me, it's epic failure. A lot of us struggle with failure in different ways. A lot of us struggle with what does it look like to project the person I want to be with the people around me. In fact, what we read often in Scripture is talking about the dichotomy between who we think we are and who we want to project we are and who we actually are. We're not always the same person. And that conflict causes great stress. And often failure is the thing that God uses to point out that you and I are not perfect. And yet for many of us, there's a desire to do that. How many of you have taken the OCD test that's floating around Facebook right now? How many? How many of you scored a perfect I am OCD? You better get all your dots in a row with me. There's probably more of us than would admit, and some of you just haven't taken it yet, but that's you too. 
A lot of us struggle with the desire to be perfect. And and we have fabricated this idea within our minds that we are a person that doesn't really exist. And so either we will fear failure or we will rewind and re-roll those failing events in our lives over and over and over again because they cause us such pain because it proves to others and ourselves, I'm really not all that perfect. We either do that or we just say, I'm going to sit here where it's comfortable and it's quiet and no one's going to think anything is wrong with me. We try to pretend that we have it all together by never truly trying for great things. Failure forces us to face our lack of perfection. But it's really more insidious than that. The problem with failure in our lives is not just that it paralyzes us, but it introduces something that is probably the most traumatic emotion that causes us to get stuck in life, and that is shame. Failure causes us to have to deal with shame. Now, we need to understand that shame has a tendency to paralyze us. It causes us to be paralyzed within our lives. We get stuck in what's going on. Now, There is a certain time in life where shame is almost a daily event. And and I'm convinced that's the time from about 6th grade to 12th grade. Does anybody agree with that? We deal with a great amount of shame growing up, which is really a shame because... (laughs) No pun intended. It's really a shame because those are such formative years for us to grow and develop, for us to reach out and try things, to, to go for stuff. For me, I, you know, you're not going to see me do a bunch of crazy stuff. Although when I see people do crazy stuff, I think, man, I want to be that person. Shame paralyzes us. One of the conversations I often have with my kids about their experience in school is they need to understand the reactions of their friends, of their schoolmates that use shame. The, those that are trying to say, I'm, I've got it together. I'm one of the cool ones and you're not. They're just as insecure as the ones that they're shaming. They just mask it differently. So for a lot of us, we struggle with this reality of shame and we carry it with us within our lives. And it causes us to get stuck. You may be at a job that you hate, but you're afraid that if you try for the one you want, it won't work out, and so you stay. You think back when you're a child, any of you do this? You do something, it's been years ago, and yet if you remember that event, it is as painful the day that you remember it as the day it happens. And we hold on to those things. Now, I recognize there's probably some in the room, and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. There are some that just have this incredible ability to just not care. But there's not many of them. And for a lot of us, the fear of failure or the aftermath of a failure causes us to get stuck in a place where we are enslaved to our shame rather than being free in Christ. So what I want to present to you is that the idea of shame and the idea of failure today is much bigger than you even think that it is. And I want to look at the story of Peter, a man who was crucial in the disciples that Jesus was pouring his life into. He was a man that would be counted on to continue the message of Jesus after Jesus ascended to be in heaven. And yet he was a man who time and time again failed. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of John. 
We're going to be looking at chapter 13. We're going to also look at the same story in Luke. But I want to start with John chapter 13. And I want you to know as we go through this that failure is, in many people's lives, it is an affront on your own personal value in your own eyes. However, failure is not the final judgment on your value. And instead, it's an opportunity to experience God's grace more fully. Failure is not just something that we have to fear. Failure is a necessary part of life that is meant to help you grow. And yet it is that shame that holds us back. Let's look at John chapter 13. Now, at this point of the story, he's coming to the end of Jesus' ministry. And he's spending time with his disciples. And the disciples are really not grasping how serious the day's events really are. In fact, if you'll remember, Jesus goes and he prays and And he's saying, guys, you need to come and you need to pray with me. And they they never could stay awake. And before that, he shared the Lord's Supper with them. And in that Lord's Supper, he was telling them, this is what's about to happen to you and to me. This needs to happen. What we've been talking about, what I've been preparing you for, it's all about to go down. And Peter wants to show Jesus, I am with you. I am devoted to you. I want to go wherever you go. I'll do whatever you do. If someone hurts you, they'll hurt me. I'm with you. And this is how that exchange goes. John 13, starting with verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus, knowing all of the hearts of men, answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, there are different levels of failure. There's the kind of failure that you go to take your child out to eat. Some of you have young children and you go out to eat and that wonderful experience you thought you were going to have turns into this blubbering mess of children screaming and crying and throwing food and you wonder, why did we pay for this meal? That's a level of failure. There's a level of failure when you show up to work and you realize a coworker was joking that today was going to be 80s dress-up day and nobody else dressed up. That's a layer of failure. There's a layer of failure when you get on your bike and you're going to show your greatest trick that you've been practicing for the last three and a half minutes and you bite it hard on the pavement. That's a layer of failure. But there are some layers of failure that are much more deep, much more hurtful. They have much more power behind them to keep us stuck. Those are the times that we truly put ourselves out there, that we put our hearts and our emotions, we put everything into something only to have it rejected. It's a layer, level of failure that while I may wreck on my bike, I'm back up in another two and a half minutes trying it again. However, when our heart is involved and it feels shattered... We feel that we must recover. We must heal. We must defend that which is now fragile. For Peter, and for many of us, the greatest failures we'll ever experience have nothing to do with our actions. They have everything to do with our spirits, our souls. Some of us can recount life stories that we got into things we shouldn't have gotten into. We got into relationships that ended up being bad. Uh, started hanging around with friends and they got me doing stuff that just really got me stuck for a long time in life. Those failures, they stick a little more. 
It's the failures of the soul that make us feel that we're not valuable, that deep inside that that most inner, sacred, fragile place does not have value or worth. And people have truly seen who we are because deep inside, all of us at some level know that we are weak and we are unable. And we have all of these coping mechanisms to make us look like we're strong and invincible. For Peter, he wanted to show Jesus, I am here with you. I am here for you. I am devoted to you. Of all of these other disciples, I'm the one who will stay with you. And Jesus, knowing the fragile, fragile heart, said, Oh, you won't. You're going to deny me three times. Now, have you ever tried to demonstrate to a friend or a family member, someone close to you, someone that is important to you, how much you care about them, that you're with them, and they express to you, no, what you're saying is not true. That is not really who you are. Those wounds, they tend to go straight through all of our shielding. And they cut right to our heart. I'm sure for Peter, this was a moment of confusion because he really believed at the time, I am going to be there for you. He doesn't realize that he's fragile. And at the time, I'm sure he thought, what is Jesus talking about? I would never, never do that. I am with you. And then as the soldiers come, as they take Jesus, and it's no longer that safe, quiet place around a dinner table sharing a meal, and now it's out in the woods with soldiers encroaching on your position, things begin to change. As Jesus is taken into custody and he's taken to be questioned by the high priests at the time, Peter follows. And he wants to see what's about to happen to my teacher. What's, what's going to happen to my mentor? What's going to happen to who I believe is the Messiah? What is going to happen Next, and he follows, and we follow up in that story when we jump. We're actually going to look at Luke chapter 22, the way he recounts this. Verse 54, it says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. Now remember, Peter said, I will be there. This is what I'm going to do. Wherever you go, I'll be where if they hurt you, they'll hurt me. But already, Peter's at a distance. Fear is probably coming in, beginning to strangle all of those noble ideas. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, talking about Jesus. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not twice. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with them. For he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine those piercing eyes? Going through all of the good intentions for Peter to recognize, I have failed. I've left my business. I've left my home. I have followed this man. I have seen him do incredible things. He has shown me great love and mercy. I told him I would be with him, and I'm not. I have failed. Peter said, man, I am not. 
After about an interval of about an hour, another insisted. And he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, and he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Have you ever had a time in your life when something went so horribly wrong that you wept bitterly? Now, guys in the room, okay, maybe you didn't have tears coming down your eyes, but you took it hard. You got quiet. You walked away. You needed time to deal with it. There was a pain that is just unusual. You don't, it's uncomfortable. I don't like this feeling. For Peter, it manifested all in a moment. So many emotions, so many realizations. And the realization that all of us have come to, and if we haven't, we will, have come to the place of recognizing there is no way to live this life without the constant presence of failure in it. And the problem with failure is that none of us sees failure as freeing. None of us looks at failure and says, this is what God wants for me. God wants me to fail, even though at times God does want you to fail. Failure is the thing that gets us stuck, saying that this is not the kind of person that I'm supposed to be. Everyone who's been watching me, I can imagine even in Peter's own mind, all the other disciples looking at Peter going, you are a fraud, which is what failure tells us. You are worthless, which is the charge of every person feeling in their heart and in their head every time they have failed severely. You can imagine all of those things wrapped with confusion. And ultimately for Peter, I believe, wrapped also in repentance. Those tears were not just tears of sorrow. Those tears were tears of realization of a time for change, that there was a need for something to happen differently. Because when Peter faces his failure, for him, this is the moment that the whole world shifts. When Peter faces his failure, this is the moment that the whole world changes. This world he's constructed for himself. This is the Messiah. I'm his right-hand man. I am a great follower of Jesus. Realizes how weak he really is. Realizes that all those hopes and dreams that he thought, I'm going to be able to do all these wonderful things and experience all these wonderful things. No, you are nothing. You don't even deserve to be with them. You don't even deserve to be called a follower of Jesus. You are among the worst of the followers of Jesus. And to be honest, many of us deal with our failures with those very words. You're the worst. You're not good enough. Look, you have no hope. You have no future. This is what shame does to us. Now, this is not the only place where we experience shame in life, but it is one of the places where we most loudly say it about ourselves. Shame is something that God has never instituted in any kind of a healthy relationship. There's never a single place where Jesus shames anyone. And yet we shame ourselves every single day. And the problem with shaming ourselves is we allow ourselves to get into a place 
where we no longer are able to move forward in life. We're no longer able to see the world as it is. We're no longer able to see ourselves as people who are in need of help. But for Paul, it was a place for him to shift the way he saw the world. There are three things he does that everyone has to do. And for him, number one was there has to be a moment of repentance. In a moment, we're going to see how Jesus responds to this because we do have a wonderful opportunity to see what Jesus thinks about Peter's denials. But what we see in Peter is not that he walks away and he goes back and finds the closest boat and goes back fishing. We don't see a man who decides that I've got to give up on all this and just go back to my old ways and hope that nobody recognizes me. He doesn't just say the last few years that I've spent with Jesus were a waste. Because he has that opportunity. And for some of you, that's what you've done with the failure you've lived with in your life. I'm stuck. This is, this is irrecoverable. Peter begins with repentance. What follows up for anyone who's going to use failure as an opportunity to grow instead of to keep us stuck is always, always, always going to be a reprioritization. I can't even say the word. A reprioritization at that moment of what is really most important. You see, when we fail and we feel those pains of shame, what we believe is most important is our own ego, our own strength. Our own idea of who we are. We believe that is of utmost importance. Yet when we fail, that is all shattered. So that we can really realize what is true about the world and about life. What's really important? Is it really important that everyone at school thinks I'm the greatest thing they've ever seen? Is it really that important that every single grade I get is... A perfect grade? Is it really true within this world that if I'm going to be happy, I have to just build one success after another success after another success after another success after another and another and another and another and another? And at the point that that success turns into a failure, it's all wiped out. Because many of us view the life, view life exactly like that. The third thing that Peter does is he moves forward because we know what happens when Jesus finally has the opportunity to talk to Peter. Peter is there. He moves forward. He comes back. He goes through the shame. He goes through the embarrassment. We read about it in John chapter 21. It says, starting with verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He asked him that once, and he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had asked him the third time. This grief was him replaying in his mind Jesus knows I failed, and he is now about to tell me I am worthless. He's grieved the consequence of his failure. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, and these had to have been two of the most precious words Peter ever heard in his entire life. He said, follow me. Now, the lesson in this particular story is that even Jesus, when he has been denied by the one who was supposed to be close to him, the one who was supposed to get it, the one that Jesus consistently said, Peter gets it, was to restore. And it's no wonder that Jesus says to him, there is a time that you will grow in life. And he does say, you will share in my death. Because what we know about Peter is that he will be crucified. And he will say, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. But he will be crucified. But there's a time of growth. I want to encourage you that failure is always an opportunity to experience two things. Grace, just as Peter received grace, and growth, just as Peter grew. But the reality of this failure complex is something that goes so much deeper than your and my normal daily activities. It's not just about how we live our lives, how we do our jobs. If we go out and we try to do something great, if we're going to dance at a wedding or sit by and sway, it's what I do. I don't even sway, to be honest. I just go find somebody to talk to or find a corner. It doesn't matter what you're trying for. The truth is that this story, the reality of failure is not just about our actions or our activities, but it is literally about the gospel. Failure is the very embodiment of a daily life following Jesus. It is the gospel. You're thinking, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's look at what Paul says. Paul is somebody who literally knew what it meant to be able to boast in everything that he did. He was proud he lived a life that other people said, Paul, you know, he's the up-and-coming guy. You know, if you've never been the up-and-coming guy, maybe you don't know how that feels. But for a guy who thinks he's the up-and-coming guy, everybody is beholden to him. Everybody thinks he's better than them. The up-and-coming guy, you know, he really did great in school, and they've hired him. He's the youngest executive we've ever had, or whatever, the up-and-coming guy. That was Paul. But Paul recognized after his experience with Jesus that it is in our weakness and our shame that Jesus came to us. That Jesus died for us. Second Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about this a little bit. He says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to be in the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I'll not boast, except of my weaknesses. Now, have you literally ever known anyone who who bragged about their failures? I mean, have you known anyone like that? Now, we do watch documentaries about people like that, and typically they're bragging about their failures right before they hit the big one, right? 
Well, let me tell you about all the tries it took us to, you know, we were at WD-39, and man, we just were about to give up. But WD-40 came along. It was great. True story, by the way. (laughs) He didn't talk like that, but. How many people do you know that go around bragging about their weaknesses? Man, I am so screwed up. Can I just tell you? There's not many. There's not many. Because you and I put on this false front of who we want people to think we are. And that is what enslaves us. That is what enslaves us. A false self that we have manufactured to pretend that we are something other than what we are. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody that you had to pretend in order to be their friend? I remember there was a girl I dated in high school. And she was, she was the bad girl. I was not the bad boy, if you haven't figured it out. But she was interested in me. I was interested in her. So I had to become the bad boy to be with the bad girl. And I got to tell you, it was a comedy of errors. It was horrible. And I remember one time my mom just was in, she just could not believe that I was dating this girl. And I remember thinking at the time, this is exhausting. This is not who I am. I mean, this is exciting and this is fun, but this is not who I am. I've told my testimony before that when I entered into high school, my goal was to have as many friends as possible and to climb the ladder of popularity so that other people would want to be my friend. And that was all, to be honest, for all of us, that was masking the fear that no one would want to be my friend. That's where the popular kids get it. It's fear of being alone. So they form networks. And what often happens is they project a false self in an attempt to look so much better than they know they really are. And it takes so much energy to fake it that they're just enslaved by their false self. I learned early on in friendships that if I was going to befriend people that I had to be something else, they weren't really friends. And they really didn't know who I was. But I found there were a group of people on the outside, on the fringe, that they struggled with the same things I did. I could go and I could befriend them. And we could have real, true relationships. I was who I was. They were who they were. We accepted each other. That is freedom. The false self is not. Paul knows what it's like to put on the false self. He knows what it's like to do that. And he says, so, I will not boast, back in verse 5, except of my weaknesses, that if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one would think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited, consider this if you struggle with consistent failure within your life. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is what I believe is a divine conspiracy. And it is this, that when we are our weakest is our greatest opportunity for strength. Shane tells us that weakness is a sign of lack of value. It's a sign that you're not good enough. It's a sign that you're a failure. But Jesus says weakness is an opportunity to experience my strength. So is it possible that some of the failures that we've experienced in life are actually meant to build our faith in him? Is it possible that the very things you run around in your head over and over again and you replay over and over out of fear and anger and hurt and pain were placed there for a reason? You just haven't looked at it with the eyes that Peter saw his own failure? Is it possible that right now you think you're walking the steps to success and God already has in his mind that what is best for you and what is best for your growth is that he is going to pull the rug out from under you so you fall flat on your face? Is it possible that a loving, good God would do that? And I would say yes. Yes, he does that. He does that all throughout Scripture. And some of those that were most faithful in walking with him are the ones who share their own failure with us. Not just Peter, but how about Paul? I no longer do the things I want to do, but I do the things I don't want to do. He talks about training and seeking after God and trying harder to understand the world the way it is because he doesn't want to be exempt from the very thing that he's preaching. Paul over and over and over talks about his weakness. This is the divine conspiracy. The world says you are living in strength when you are strong. Jesus says none of you are strong. Jesus says your strength is perfected in the weakness that you exhibit because it is only then that you allow me to empower you. We are free to fail. You ever truly stop to think, What that means, that we are honestly free to fail. God wants you to fail. God intends for you to fail. It's an opportunity for you to grow, to repair, to change course, to reprioritize. It's an opportunity to see the world differently and let your understanding of reality change from what I see in front of me and the way the rest of the world works to turning all that upside down on its ear so that we have the opportunity to grow. The world invites you to live in your failure and shame. That is what the world does. It invites you to stay there, to be stuck there, to remember all those failures. Or maybe it's just one. Maybe a relationship dissolved. Maybe you failed your child. If you haven't failed your children, you're not trying hard enough. Can I just say that? You're not trying hard enough. Maybe your failure has to do with school. I I knew I should have chosen a different career path. Maybe a failure is that time that you didn't realize that you were in the bathroom with the boss and you mouthed off a little too much and you thought, man, my life would have been different had that not happened. 
The world invites you to live in your failure and shame. Jesus invites you to be empowered by it. If I could just wave a magic wand, I would, but that's not the way the world works. But if I could wave a magic wand and everyone in this room took their failures, put them in a box, and then pulled them out one by one and allowed them to empower them through life, I would do that because that's the way God intends for your failures to work. But instead, we've tucked them in a box and pushed them into a dark corner and we have tried to layer everything about life on top of them so that we can ignore those failures because they bring pain when we don't understand how God uses them. Whenever the world invites you to live in your failure, it's all you will think about. It will get you stuck and it will try to convince you you are worthless. This is the way the enemy works in the world. This is the way culture and society works. Set you up for failure so you can fail and then laughs. Overcoming failure truly is the gospel. We read about it in Romans 5. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by him into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? You know, there's a lot of us that read James and he talks about rejoicing in our trials and sufferings. And we think, man, James is nuts. I mean, that's okay. Somebody ought to be that way. But we read Paul saying the very same thing to the church in Rome but, or the believers that are in Rome at this point. Rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the purpose of failure as God uses it was never to get you stuck. The purpose of failure as God uses it was to move us to a point of weakness intentionally. God wants you to be moved to weakness. It is only then we can realize just the unimagined strength that we can have through Christ. I've already shared some of the implications if this is true. I believe it's true. I've just read a bunch of scriptures that say it's true. This is one of the reasons I give you so much scripture on a Sunday morning is because I'm not, I'm not just pulling this stuff out of the air. This is the way the world really works. God wants you to get to a place of weakness so that you will no longer depend on yourself and your ability to frame this false self that imprisons you. I'm a good person. can't tell you how many times I talk to, to people who attend church and they say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm not. (laughs) We try to project that because we think that's what people want from us. And we end up giving the power of our, our authentic selves into the perceptions of other people. And that's where we struggle. We begin to try to understand how does this person want me to act? What does this person want me to be? How am I supposed to be successful in the eyes of that person? And we try all these different things. All the while feeling exhausted with the effort. The implications that God wants you to fail at some things. I want you to let that sink in. If you struggle with failure, 
You're where God wants you. But the question is, what will you do with it? Just like Paul, when he cried tears of bitterness, when he, or not tears of bitterness, but he cried bitterly whenever he realized what he had done. He stopped and he repented of making it about his comfort, of trying to spare his own life, to keep himself from discomfort and hurt and pain for being arrested as well. He repented for making things that were personal, but not, were not important, the priority in his life. Paul also reprioritized what was going to be most important. And then he moved forward. He moved forward. Some of you are living through past failures and they are keeping you from moving forward in a wonderful life because you keep replaying them over and over where God just wants you to give them up. It's in the midst of our greatest failures that God is most adamantly offering you grace. What will happen if the next time you fail, instead of internalizing it with shame, we recognize God has just given me an opportunity to experience His grace. God's given me an opportunity to know that He's there with me in the moment. God is here with me now, and I have the opportunity for Him to strengthen me and get me out of this and to make me better than I was before. It's an opportunity for us to truly grow. Again, Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us. And just internalize that. God shows his love for you that while you were still a failure, because that's what sin is, Christ died for you. I leave you with two ideas. I would leave you with this. Number one, failure is a place where God meets you to help you grow stronger. Failure is not the place where you have to question whether you're valuable. It is the place where you get to meet God or you can totally internalize and reject the opportunity to be strengthened by him. Every time you fail is an opportunity to meet God in his grace. Maybe the next time that we have a tendency to look at someone else's failures and we like to point them out, we do that. Do you know why we do that? Because it takes our eyes off our own failures. The next time we do that, recognize that their failure is an opportunity for them to experience God's grace more fully. I would ask you this. What failures in your life are controlling you? Perhaps it's not the kind of failures that you remember an event and you're stuck in that event. Maybe it's your fear of failure that has you stuck instead. You know, when everyone who comes up and, and, and leads worship with us, it's, it's been interesting over the years. We, we never have people that, that are like regular performing musicians get involved. It's people that play the guitar or drums or keyboard back in the day, and they're interested in helping out. And they deal with a great fear of getting up here and even trying out or showing what they can do or learning because they're afraid that they're going to mess up. We find that often when people, we talk to people about leading in our children's ministry. I just, I don't know. I'm just not good with kids. I'm just not. Uh... But yet people all over the world recognize 
that failure is an opportunity to grow. And if you will no longer allow yourselves to be paralyzed for it and you will move forward, you will experience God working in so many different ways. Maybe it's time to do that in your family. Maybe that's time to do that in a relationship that you have. Maybe it's time for you to let all of those things that happened when you were in third grade, when you forgot to put, pull your pants all the way up and you ran through the school and now you're 48 years old and you still remember that event like it was yesterday. Maybe it's time to let those things go, right? Maybe it's time to just rest in the grace of God. I want to pray with you and I want to encourage you that Christ died on the cross so that you could be free from shame. You could be free from failure. You could instead grow and experience the great power of God. That is my prayer for us today. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. God, I thank you that we don't have to be perfect to experience those things. It is so tempting for us to want to celebrate our own strengths and accomplishments, to believe that we've gotten to the place we are in life solely based on our own ability to engineer our lives. God, I know there are people in this room that are struggling out of fear that they're going to fail in moving forward. I know there are some that would like to follow you and would like for you to be their Savior, but they're afraid that they won't be good enough. Father, I pray that you would give them the confidence that it is in failure that we have the opportunity that we can not only experience your grace, but Father, we can truly experience what it means to be empowered by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would give us strength and wisdom. I pray that you would give us confidence, not in our false projected selves, but who we truly are inside, which we are weak and broken people that are, we are simply seeking after your, your will, your love, your grace. Thank you that you've given your son for us so that we can be forgiven of our sins and we can live with you forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.